the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So here Jesus talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. And uh, all of these verbs, to ask, to seek, and to knock, are in the Greek present imperative tense. So it is translated literally, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. That's the original intent behind the language here. Today, Pastor Gary will share some insight on persistence with God. In the Bible, there is a verse that talks about seeking God, knocking on a proverbial door and asking. So we're to seek God, knock on the door, Jesus will answer, and we can ask for forgiveness of our sins. But as Pastor Gary will share with you, this isn't a one-time event. In the Greek translation that our Bible comes from, each word, ask, knock and seek are in the present tense, meaning we are to continue doing these things often. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So it's taken us uh, several weeks to get through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Lord willing, we will conclude it tonight and even maybe perhaps make our way into a little bit of chapter 8 this evening as well. But again, for those of you who are new, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 are considered to be the Sermon on the Mount. It is the longest recorded teaching of our Lord, and so that's why if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, almost all of chapters 5, 6, and 7 are in red, because these are the words of Jesus as he teaches this sermon, which is a call to discipleship. This is a sermon that is given not to the faint of heart, but to those who want to be spiritually strong and grow deeper in relationship with Christ, because Jesus raises the bar here in many different areas. So uh, again, as we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, there's a natural contour in the land there in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, which would be fitting like a theater. And so there is today a Catholic church that just kind of commemorates this particular location as traditionally being held to be that place known as the Mount of Beatitudes. And so as Jesus delivers this sermon... It is a reminder to us that true followers of Jesus Christ are to be more concerned about the thoughts, attitudes, and motives of their hearts than about external religious performance, which only produces a false righteousness. That's why Jesus, uh, several times through the Sermon on the Mount, will contrast true discipleship 
with that of the Pharisees who were just kind of practicing religion, but they didn't really have a relationship with the Lord. And so Jesus will often say things like, you know, don't do what the Pharisees do, and you've heard that it was said, but I say, and he's always challenging them to a deeper walk. And that's what we should always be about. Whenever you open God's word, may it challenge you to a deeper walk with Christ. And how many of you could say that when you read something in Scripture, you might read it again and read it again and read it again, the same passage, and it will speak to you afresh and anew every time you read it because God is continually sharpening us and challenging us and refining us, and it is the Word of God that begins to purify and refine our hearts. And so as Jesus is sharing through all these different aspects of life, you know, back in chapter 5, he talked about... uh, murder, and he talked about uh, divorce and adultery and and revenge. We get into chapter 6, he talks about how to properly give, how to properly pray, how to properly fast, uh, not worrying. And then we left off at the first part of chapter 7 a couple of weeks ago when he talks about not judging others. And we noted how uh, Jesus is not saying that we should never judge. In fact, in John 7, 24, he said we are to make right judgments But we noted in that section that Jesus says there's a proper way to judge. We should never judge someone's motives. We should never judge their hearts. We don't know their heart. We don't know their motives. But he said that there sometimes needs to be judgment, but there has to be a right order of judgment. And the right order is we have to examine our own sinful hearts first before we ever point a finger at anybody else. And then if we are to judge small j, if you will, we are to do it with the intent of helping a brother or sister. But you can't help a brother or sister if you're not first looking at your own life. Otherwise, then you'd be a hypocrite. And hypocrite is from the Greek word hupokrino, which is a combination of two words, hupo meaning above and krino meaning to judge. And a hypocrite is one who judges someone higher than they judge themselves. They are judging someone else greater than they judge themselves. And a real sign of spiritual maturity is when you are more concerned about your own sin than you are the sin of others. But having dealt with, continually dealing with our own hearts and lives, we should then look to others in the sense of helping them, not to stand back and point a finger, and never to judge motives or intention of the heart, but we should help them in areas where it's obvious that they're in desperate need of someone to come alongside of them, and to lovingly help them in the same way that we would want to help. Not in a judgmental, hypocritical way, but in a way that would help a brother or sister uh, in their own sin struggle. So after that section of judging others, you'll notice in your Bible there's starting at verse 7 of chapter 7 that it is subtitled, Ask, Seek, and Knock. So this is the next section here that Jesus gets into. And he says here in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. He adds, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, thanks Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, well, it's only true, right? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So here Jesus talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. And uh, all of these verbs, to ask, to seek, and to knock, are in the Greek present imperative tense. So it is translated literally, ask, And keep on asking, 
seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. That's the original intent behind the language here. The tense of the language suggests that God respects and loves our persistence. For you note takers, that's one of the things that he's saying here, that God values persistence in prayer. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And Jesus is inviting us to be persistent like this. Don't just ask and then give up. I didn't get what I want. No, that's what a child says. But ask and keep on asking. Now, you know how this works with you, too, because you get worn out. When your kids ask and they keep on asking and they ask and they keep on asking. Now, the idea is not to ask God until you wear him out. But the idea is to ask him with persistence because he loves when his children ask him. Because the next section we're going to see here in, in, in this same uh, paragraph here is that God loves to be generous. But before I get ahead of myself, I want you to note with me, though, that there's a proper way to be persistent. And when we talk about prayer and the persistence of prayer, one of the things to note is that he, got, that he does encourage us to pray with faith. And if you want to just mark this down, it's Mark eleven twenty four, And you can either jump there uh, real quickly or I can just read it while you listen. But Mark eleven twenty four. this is Jesus speaking. He says, therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, that, that invitation that Jesus gives us here in Mark eleven twenty four, if taken by itself, can be sometimes taken out of context. Because listen again, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. But you have to take the full counsel of God's word to get the full perspective of what God says when he says to pray. Because when Jesus says there, ask for anything, I mean, no good loving parent would ever give their kid just anything that they wanted. If that were the case, your kids would be eating Twinkies every morning for, for breakfast. But, but you know, as your kids ask you for things, there, there are things as a parent, as a mom or a dad, where you, you have better wisdom than they do. And there are times that you need to say no, because it's not good for them. And when Jesus says, you're asking if you, and you can get whatever you want, does he really mean that we can just get whatever in terms of just any kind of selfish interest that we have and God's just going to honestly give it to us? No, because when you take the full counsel of God's word, here's something else important to realize, that we are to be persistent in prayer, but without wrong motives. Without wrong motives. Now, this is what James tells us. I'll read to you from James chapter 4. The second half of verse 2, James says, You do not have because you do not ask God. So that's one point to remember. Sometimes we don't have because we haven't asked. But then he adds, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And James there reminds us that sometimes we don't get because we haven't asked God. But then there are other reasons we don't get, and those reasons can be that we ask with wrong motives, and when we ask with wrong motives because we just have a selfish intent, God's not obligated to give us everything that we want. So we, we, we have to frame context. We can't just take things out of context and hang everything on one thing that Jesus said, because when we look at the broader aspect of the gospel, then we realize that what God is saying here is, through, through Christ, is that when we ask persistently... We should have faith. We should have faith in God, by the way, not faith in the result. Okay, it's trusting in God as the giver. It is not trusting in the result of what we want. 
And it is not asking with wrong motives, because if we ask with wrong motives, we're not always going to get what we want, because God wants to treat us better than that. And then thirdly, we can probably say a lot more about this, but the third thing to keep in mind is that it's okay to ask in prayer in accordance with God's will. Now, I run into Christians sometimes who don't like this. I don't, I don't know quite why, because I think that they think that if they just ask with faith, it means they should believe and not really think about what God's will might be, because God's will is faith, and it's all about faith, and you don't ever have to worry about if it's God's will. You do need to worry about whether it's God's will. You need to consider that, because not everything is God's will. Now, look, you don't have to go very far here in Matthew 7. You can go back to Matthew 6, And you can see that when he teaches us how to pray, and again, the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, is a model that is not to be necessarily just a rote, repetitive prayer. But one of the things that God says there, Jesus is right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, in chapter 6, verse 10 of Matthew, is your kingdom come, your will be done. I mean, Jesus is right there saying we need to defer to the will of God. There are some things that are just not in accordance with his will, and we're not going to get what we ask for in prayer because simply God doesn't want it. He doesn't will it. But there's another verse in addition that reminds us that it's okay to pray in, in, uh, in accordance with God's will, and it's 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, and this is what it says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So, you know, look, living the Christian life is always about balance. We have to be balanced with the word of God. We can't be these kind of people that just believe that, you know, name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and God's going to give it to us. Everything we ask, God's going to give. But then the other extreme is, well, I'm just not going to ask because, you know, God's, God's, gonna, God's sovereign. He does whatever he wants anyway, so why should I bother praying? But we need to pray, and God honors persistence, and that's why Jesus says here, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. But we need to remember that it is asking and persistence with faith, without wrong motives, and in accordance with his will. And that at the end of the day, we can trust that our Father has our best interest in mind, and so He's going to do according to His good purpose and His good will in us and through us and for us. Amen? So pray and be people who have prayer and seek the face of the Lord and always defer to God. He has the final answer in everything. So Jesus invites us to, to pray and to ask and to seek, to knock. But He reminds us as well that God loves to be generous uh, because that's this section here about uh, he says in verse 9, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? What a terrible joke that would be. You know, like, Daddy, I'm really hungry. You know, can I have a piece of bread? Ah, oh, chew on a rock, kid. Here's a, here's a stone. Or if a kid asks, you know, for fish, and, and instead you're going to give him a snake. Hey, how about this? Ah! You know, so God doesn't do that to us, okay? God is generous because it says here that if you then, who are evil, because we're all sinful... If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So that's a great promise for us to remember that God loves to be generous. That doesn't mean He's a vending machine, okay? doesn't mean we just, you know, pray to the Lord and push the button and we expect that He's going to drop it out of heaven. But He's going to do according to His good purpose and His good will. But then He summarizes this section in verse 12 when He says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, 
Uh, as most of us were raised, we were told that this is, quote, the golden rule. What you may not know is that this is uh, distinctly different from other ancient golden rules of the day because all other ancient golden rules of Jesus' day were in the negative. This is in the positive. Most other of the ancient golden rules were something like, you know, if, if you don't want to be kicked in the teeth, then don't kick somebody else in the teeth. Don't do this and don't do that, and then it won't happen to you. Jesus makes it into a positive rule, and he says, I want you to do to others what you would have them do to you. So I want you to be generous because you might want someone to be generous to you. I want you to be kind because you might want someone to be kind to you. I want you to be friendly. I want you to be helpful. I want you to be loving. I want you to be sincere. I want you to be honest. So he puts it in the positive sense of what we should be about if we expect to get that in return. This is doing, this is action in the positive sense. For this, he says, sums up the law and the prophets. Then verse 13. Starting at verse 13, down through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus here is going to give three final exhortations. Three final exhortations. And here they are. I'm just giving them to you right up in advance, and then we'll take a look at this together. Number one, he's going to say that he is, Jesus is, the narrow gate that leads to life. Number two, he's going to say, beware of false prophets and false confessions. And then number three, he's going to say, listen to me, listen to Jesus, and do what he says. Don't be a hearer only, but do what he says. So this is the first part here in verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, you might want to, in the margin of your Bible, just write down John 10, verse 9. John 10, verse 9, because it's in John 10, 9 that Jesus said, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the gate. There's seven I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. We'll get to them when we get to the gospel of John, but that's one of them. He says, I'm the gate, and everyone who wants to be saved has to go through me. Now, Jesus is being very unpolitically correct here. Because he's making an exclusive claim. Just as he does in John 14 when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He doesn't say, I am a way among many ways. I am a truth among many truths. I'm just a life among many. He says, no, I'm exclusive. I'm in the exclusive way to be saved. Now, this is, this is where critics of Christianity will chime in and they'll say, you know, your faith is so narrow-minded. Look, what we need to understand here is, first of all, I don't have a problem that Jesus says he's the way. I'm just glad that there is the way, right? That's the first thing, okay? That God loves us enough that he made the way for us, possible, to have forgiveness of sins and eternal life through faith in Jesus, but when you recognize that there are many different, if you will, truth claims out there, and many of the truth claims of different religions are contradictory, it is illogical to say that all paths lead to God because they are contradictory statements. We cannot all be right. Truth, by definition, is exclusive, okay? 
Now, the reason why a lot of people have a problem with this sounds so narrow-minded, the fact that Jesus would say he's the only way, that not all paths lead to God, only one path leads to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. And the reason why people have problems with this, let me illustrate to you. Listen, if tomorrow there was a cure found for cancer or for AIDS or something that is fatal or can be fatal, if a cure was found tomorrow and it was announced, here's the pill, or here is the serum, and if you just take this, you will be cured. I guarantee you, no one is going to say, well, what are my options? Is that the only thing? People would be beating down the hospital doors and the office of their doctors to get the serum or to get the pill. Why? Because they see their desperate need. And the reason that people find it difficult to accept that Christianity, the exclusive claims of Jesus, are what they are, is because they have not yet seen their desperate need. It is when someone gets to the bottom of themselves and realizes their desperateness of heart, their sinfulness of life, and they grab hold of the refreshing, liberating, loving truth of Jesus, they will run to him. But until you get to that place, you're going to stand back and intellectualize everything. And you're going to say, wait a minute, you know, Hindus can be right and Buddhists can be right and Muslims can be right and Christians can be right. No, 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 it's contradictory. You're going to have to decide what the real truth is. But truth by itself, by definition, is exclusive. So don't take issue with Jesus that he's being exclusive because if he really is and he is the truth, if he's the, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to him but by him, then by definition it's exclusive, but what a wonderful opportunity is for all to come. See, the gate is narrow, but the invitation is broad. The invitation is to all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that anyone and everyone who believes in him shall be saved, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For as many as believed in him, for those who called on his name shall be saved. See, the invitation is broad, but the way is narrow because it's exclusive. And people who have not yet gotten to the bottom of themselves and the own depravity of their own souls will not yet see the importance and the liberating, loving exclusivity of this invitation because they've not yet seen their own desperate needs. So what Jesus says here is exclusive, but uh, it is open to as many as would believe and as many as would receive. Unfortunately, many are on the broad road that leads to destruction, and only a few find the narrow gate. And, uh, but the few can be as many as would receive and believe. Well, in verse 15, he then switches to the idea of being aware of false prophets and false confessions. He says in verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look really nice on the outside. He says, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Now, this last section is scary to some Christians. So uh, when we get to this, I'm going to try to put to to ease and put the rest any fears that might be here about this last section. Because a lot of people look at this and they think to themselves, is that what he's going to say to me? 
All this time I thought I was saved, and one day I'm going to get in front of him. He's going to be like, you know, uh, I don't know you. Okay, so just calm down. We're going to get to this. But hold on. First of all, the false prophet part, okay? The false prophet part. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know